Hello and welcome to Tader's Life. Today I'm coming at you with another episode but I'm being joined by my good friend Duke. Now my friend Duke is a spoken word artist and he's really really open about the fact that he has type 1 diabetes and OCD. Duke often uses poetry as a form of expression and it's something that I really really can see that he's passionate about so this episode is about raising awareness of both OCD and type 1 diabetes now without further ado let's welcome Duke to the podcast. Hello and welcome Duke to Tader's Life I'm really really excited to have you here with me today I actually don't know much about type 1 diabetes or OCD and stuff so I feel like this conversation will be really really informative so welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I am really, really happy to be a part of it. And yeah, congrats on the podcast. Thank you so much. You're the first person I've ever interviewed. So this is a really, really big moment for me. So thank you for being a part of it. So um, I know that you're a spoken word artist. Can you kind of tell me about what things you're working on at the moment? Yeah, so I am working on, so I rap as well. So actually I'm working on an EP. I've just recorded my last song, so it's going to be five songs. Uh, the EP's called Daydream, and uh, we'll be releasing it. I'll be releasing it in on August the 25th, so I'll have a couple of singles coming out first uh, this year because I've not released any music since 2021, so that's really cool and exciting. And spoken word-wise, yeah, I've got a event coming up. So I'm starting my own spoken word night in wales merlin center it's going to be called the poet treehouse it's going to be sort of um it's welcome to anybody who who writes or performs i want to just create a community of of people who yeah who well it's trying trying to give a platform to people to to read their work and perform their work so there's going to be headliners there as well so the headliners will always be poets but then there's going to be an open mic which will be open to either you know storytellers so people who write short stories or spoken word or or rappers or singer songwriters it's going to be sort of um the open mic will be very varied which is going to be really cool so yeah hoping to start a community oh wow that sounds so so good honestly I think you know anyway that I like writing poetry and stuff and I don't think there's enough community regarding poetry and artists like that in Cardiff so the fact that you're able to do something like this is absolutely incredible Before I begin, I want to remind you all that this episode is an awareness episode and may be triggering for some. This is Duke's story to tell and only his to tell. The next section, Duke is going to give us the story about how he uncovered that he had type 1 diabetes. I went to Thailand and Bali uh, with my girlfriend. And when I was in Bali, uh, we we were in Ubud or Ubud. Not sure how to pronounce it, uh, near the monkey forest. And I remember going into a restaurant. I ordered a surf and turf. I put a big shrimp in my mouth and spat it out straight away because it tasted um, very much uh, not edible. (laughs) (laughs) And um, so I still had, at this time, I still had about seven days left in in Bali. Right. And I slowly started to feel unwell for the next seven days. I've experienced sunstroke and I've experienced quite bad sunstroke. And I was really, really wary of that when I went to Thailand. So I kept thinking these feelings were just sunstroke. So I kept drinking a lot of water. I was still, you know, drinking beer and stuff, trying to enjoy myself because we, <laughs> we were away. Um, but yeah, I was slowly starting to feel a little, you know, worse and worse day by day. 
yeah, we started to fly home. The plane home was really difficult. Uh, I had a banging headache. My temperature was quite high and yeah, I didn't feel well at all. And then the drive home from London to Cardiff, same thing, just feeling really ill. And then I was at home for about two days, just severely just took a turn for the worst. So sort of every, like if I moved my head a millimetre, it would be, it'd be the worst pounding in my head I've ever felt in my life. It was it was horrendous. And my set temperature was sky high. So my mum my mum said, oh, Duke, you really need to go to the doctors. Because I was just on day and night nurse trying to sweat yeah. it out. With that. <laughs> um, and then I got sent to the doctors. Oh, I got sent to the doctors. Actually, I did get sent to the doctors by my mum. <laughs> um, yeah, she said she told me to go to the doctors. I went to the doctors. Um, they took one sort of look at my temperature and sent me straight up to the, the Heath Hospital into the infectious disease ward. What, so, it really? out, so it turns out I had salmonella. Oh, gosh. But it got into my blood. So it became sepsis. Oh my word! That's all. So, so I was on an intravenous line for six weeks with antibiotics, and then um, about a year and a, a year and a bit later, I was diagnosed with type one diabetes. Uh, because so they they believe that 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 sepsis was the initial trigger to my pancreas not producing any more insulin. Uh, my pancreas basically slowly started giving up, and I started having symptoms such as um, sugar in my urine when I went for a. I went for a for a test. I, I do very minimal work with the fire service. They said, oh, there's sugar in your, your urine. You should, you know, test again. That's not right. And then I tested again after some water and it wasn't there. So they just didn't really think anything of it. And then, um, yeah, I, I think about, I don't know, five, six months later, stress of university. Um, my car got written off. I got into a bit of a, a bit of a traumatic experience. And then um, they believe that's that stress then was the final trigger of that, which really kicked in in, in the symptoms then. And before that, I was feeling really tired anyway, but I just thought that was feelings of adulthood. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, then I started having symptoms such as dry mouth, uh, again, lethargy. I was really tired. I was urinating a lot in the nights. Any liquid that would touch my lips, I couldn't help but just down the whole drink because my my body was basically urinating out all the sugar. And it was just trying to trying to do it that way because you need insulin to absorb for your blood to absorb the sugar and then the strangest symptom for me was when I went to the gym I didn't have any pump in my muscles they're all squidgy and that's when I knew something really bad was wrong because <laughs> uh, that was quite alarming and then I went to the doctors and then yeah it turns out I had type 1 diabetes. So, so did it, you kind of know what you were looking out for did you know that those symptoms were type 1 diabetes or not did you just think that something else was happening to your body or did you kind of have an inclination that it was going to be type 1 so i just thought it was diabetes i didn't i knew there were two types and in fact there's more than two types by yeah. the way not many people know there's that there's four isn't there i think i'm not entirely sure i can't i don't know all, all the names of the types the main types that we do know and we do hear of are type 1 and type 2 but I didn't I didn't know the difference for all I knew I had type 2 diabetes do you know what I mean yeah um I just I'm very like in tune with my body so I I looked up the symptoms and I was like that that's me that's me that's me I was like oh no I've got diabetes but thinking it was type 2 so does type 2 and I this may sound like a really naive question but can it run in families then so type 1 is your pancreas just um, not producing insulin due to an event or your body giving up, I guess, in that area. But does type two run in the family? To be honest with you, I think type one. They've, I think they've seen um, type one can be hereditary. Oh really? So, yes, but it does. I believe it still needs to be triggered. Oh okay, yeah, that like makes something, sense. Something needs to trigger it. Type two can be can also be hereditary, as in as in there's people out there who can be more 
susceptible, if that's the correct word, to getting type 2. So usually with type 2, apart from during pregnancy, people become type 2 because of their poor choice of lifestyle, basically. So they're not, they're not exercising enough and they're really not eating well. And that puts a lot of stress and strain on the pancreas. And then the pancreas can't keep up basically with the insulin that it needs to produce. So it becomes stressed out, basically, I guess. That's the, that's the best way I can <laughs> I can describe it. Which is why they which is why they say you can go into remission. I don't think they use the word reverse anymore, but you can go into remission, as they call it, with type two diabetes where you don't have to take medication anymore. And usually a type a person with type two diabetes would take tablets unless they're really bad and they're really struggling the pancreas is really struggling they will inject insulin but a lot of the time it's uh, metamorphin and, and tablets that that's what the one of the tablets are called as i said it can be can you can go into remission so the difference with type 1 diabetes is uh with all due respect to people who live in with type 2 diabetes it's not my fault because of my lifestyle it's just i've it's just been triggered because of something something's happened and my pancreas is pr- literally given up so there's no kickstart in it there's no there's no going into remission I'll be injecting insulin for the rest of my life unless there's a cure. That's the big difference. So it's an autoimmune condition. It's crazy when you say that it's going to affect you for the rest of your life because, you know, the broken bone, you can fix it. It can, it can get better, but something like this, it will genuinely affect you for the rest of your life. And not many people, well, I feel, know about it. I genuinely didn't know what type 1 diabetes was until I met you and we had like a brief discussion and I was 21 at that point and I hadn't learned about it in school or anything like that. It's been great hearing about your experiences and things going through your diagnosis but can we just go back a second to when you said earlier about how you're going to the gym but you weren't getting that pump in your muscle so were you training for anything at this time? Uh, at the time, I was playing. I was playing rugby just for my local club. You know, at a rel- you know, at a decent level, though. You know, it's still a decent okay. level. Uh, <laughs> Kudos to you. <laughs> well, just I mean, it's just local rugby, but like I, I thought the standard was, you know, decent. Um, <laughs> and uh, and also, yeah, I've I've always gone to the gym and looked after myself. Was it a real shock then when you discovered that you had diabetes? It was because of my um, lack of knowledge of of diabetes i just knew the main types were type 1 and type 2 and and that's all the types i really knew of so when i got diagnosed i was a bit you know how i do try and look after myself so how come I, how why have i got diabetes and i guess that's the misconception you know you can be the fittest person in the world but you can still get type 1 diabetes it doesn't matter if you're training or not training if that makes sense yeah cuz when you hear the word diabetes no offense to anybody with diabetes but you automatically think of an unhealthy lifestyle yes. at least that's what springs to mind when i think of it yes. and that is just not the case no. um, at all which is crazy to think about how so many people are living with it yet not many people are educated on the subject so can we go to your poetry and how you're using it to raise awareness so last year i i self-published my my very own and my first uh poetry book called bittersweet the highs the lows hypers and hypos of living with type 1 diabetes hypers stands for hyperglycemia hypo stands for hypoglycemia hyperglycemia is when your blood sugar levels are um well pretty much above seven because seven's normal range so anything above seven is, is hyperglycemia um which can be 
can be fatal if you're in hypo hyperglycemia for too long. You go into something called diabetic ketoacidosis, DKA, where you're because your blood can't absorb any of the energy or any of the sugar or any of the carbohydrates that or sorry, any of the glucose, I should say. Yeah. Um, then then your body basically starts to break down its muscles and fat and stuff like that and starts using that as energy. So that's really dangerous. And unfortunately, people still get misdiagnosed or people don't see the symptoms or the signs. And unfortunately, people still die from DKA today. It's, it's awful. There's something called the four T's, which which we need to look out for, especially in children. So the four T's are toilet. So if they're going to the toilet often. Yeah. Thirsty, if they're always thirsty. Um, tired, if they're looking, you know, really drawn and yeah and just just really lethargic mm-hmm. uh and i'm trying to think of the other two this is really bad honestly uh, these are the symptoms that you were mentioning earlier about that you know yeah. that's what made you go to the doctors in the first place i've got a poem actually about the 40s the 40s parents and guardians please do not ignore these signs here are the four t's you might find toilet if your child needs a wee more regularly thinner if your child is losing weight rapidly, tired. If your child looks sleepy consistently, thirsty. If your child is drinking fluids all the time, it could mean emergency. Have urgency, take them to A&E. They are more than likely suffering with type 1 diabetes. That's so, so good. And it genuinely just kind of sums up all the signs that you need to look for. So it is absolutely perfect for educational use. That's that's really, really good, really, really informative. And I'll tell you, I'll be looking out for the four T's now because I know exactly what they stand for. <laughs> yeah, if I can, yeah, if that, I mean, if that little little poem helps somebody, you know. You could genuinely be saving a life then. That's something to be proud of. That's it, that's it. Thank you. Like Diabetes UK and Diabetes UK Cymru, who I've worked with a lot, and, G- and JDRF UK, so that's Juvenile Diabetes Research, Fra- Research Foundation. Um, they do a lot. <laughs> they do a lot for like um, parents and children who who have diabetes right. or type one diabetes, and and, um, and they really push the four T's because parents need to look out for these so they can get they can get their child to the hospital as soon as possible, and so they can start taking insulin. Otherwise, as I said, you know, DKA can be fatal. And then the opposite of that is hypoglycemia. So that's when your blood sugar levels, so normal blood glucose levels are between four and seven. Anything below four or 3.5 is called a hypo hypoglycemia. So your blood sugar levels has gone really low and you desperately need to get fast releasing glucose. So sugar, that's when we do eat, do eat a lot of sugar. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, they say 20 grams of sugar to recover from a hypo, but it's, it's hard to stop at 20 grams, let me assure you. You, your body is in fight or flight mode. You feel like you're in survival instinct. Um, the best way I can, can describe it is uh, think of being really hangry and then times it by 20. But that's how you feel because your body's literally like you need food, food now again. Otherwise, yeah. But hypos can be fatal as well. So it's a balancing act, you know. So low for, low for hypo and then high for hyper. Do you know if you have too much sugar and it goes, can it go above seven? And then you've... Yeah, it rapidly goes above seven. Rapidly. Oh, I think my highest has been like twenty-four. That's um a lot above seven. That's yeah, but so scary. you know, 
Yeah, it is. It is scary, but people have been far higher than me, you know, um, and that's just been because of, you know, I don't know, maybe it was a day of just, just, just a difficult day, and unfortunately, I didn't quite get the management right. Um, there's something called diabetes burnout as well, because it's an everyday condition. You live with it every single day, which means you have to manage it every single day. So all the carbohydrates that you have, like for example, ten grams of carbohydrate, I inject one unit of insulin. But then if I go into the gym, I would have to half it. If it was a really hot day and I was going out for a walk and the sun's heat was 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 absorbed was, you know, sort of absorbing my energy type thing or or, or making me burn energy, again, I'd probably have to half it. Caffeine affects me differently. There's loads and loads of different factors which people probably wouldn't even bat an eyelid in their in their in their lives because they don't have type 1 diabetes. But Things like that I have to consider. That's why you get you can have diabetes burnout, which I've experienced in this. And then I sort of just neglected it. I didn't inject my insulin. I was just, I, you know, having, having get, getting drunk, just having a lot of, you know, going out for a drink and stuff like that. Yeah, it affects your mental health. Do you know what I mean? So, um, absolutely. At the moment, I'm in a, I'm in a good place. So it's all good. Yeah, that's so so good. And poetry and writing helped you through that. Yeah, definitely. Okay. It definitely did. Um, poetry is extremely therapeutic for me and i believe it can be therapeutic for anybody who whoever wants to pick up the pen and just express themselves and start writing about how you're feeling so i encourage anybody to do that had you been writing poetry for a long time or did you pick up the pen when you had your diagnosis and used it as a form of expression then or had you been writing long before so i got diagnosed with type 1 diabetes um later on in life so i had been writing before I've been writing since I was about 11, but by 12 years old, it became a self-therapy and a massive coping mechanism because I've also got obsessive compulsive disorder, OCD. Again, a heavily stigmatized and misunderstood condition, or in this case, a mental health condition. And type 1 diabetes, don't get me wrong, is a massive challenge every day. And, you know, it's difficult. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, I, 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 like to, I like to think I can manage it well and I'm doing all right. Um, and I'm not comparing the two because they are very different and they actually do affect each other. How, how come? Because if I have a hypo, for example, I feel really, really tired for about 24 hours. Right. If I'm more t- if I, the, the more tired I am, the more prone I am to giving in to intrusive thoughts and then performing compulsions. Oh, I see. So at the moment, you've been able to manage your OCD as well as your type 1. But if one is slightly out of the lines, I guess, it will have a knock-on effect. Indeed. Uh, same with, you know, if I'm not getting enough sleep, if I'm not eating the right foods again, you know, diet has a massive, massive effect on our bodies. So, yeah, all things like that. And then so with my OCD, um, I have a, it's, it's based around numbers a lot as well. So if I'm when I inject units, I have to inject numbers. So sometimes I might have to inject five units because I've just had 50 grams of carbohydrates or let's say six units because that's the number which I dislike so because I don't like that number and if and if I'm having a day where I'm struggling with my OCD I might only inject five which means I'm 10 and one behind at times before I don't do this anymore but I have done uh, when I when I've injected it I then sort of stab myself with a needle like 20 times just because I because basically basically you have an intrusive thought with OCD and then we all have intrusive thoughts, right? And and they're irrational. They're just involuntary, involuntary intrusive thoughts. What makes it OCD is that we feel, people with OCD feel responsible or I feel responsible to prevent that thought from happening, prevent that horrible thing from happening. Let's say it's a member of my family dying or a friend dying. 
So all that responsibility is on my shoulders and I feel like I've got to do all these certain compulsions, for example, stabbing myself 20 times in my belly for that to not happen. I know that I know that's completely irrational. That's the mental health condition. And and it's it's living with the uncertainty and the anxiety of, yeah, but what if what if I don't do that? And then that does happen. And and it's very difficult to overcome, especially if you're tired. But the way to fight it is to not do the compulsions. But that's obviously easier said than done. Which is why, and I'm not comparing both conditions at all, but OCD has been the challenge of my life and still is today. And, and you've di- had it how long? So yeah, about 12 years old. Um, and I didn't want to tell anybody anybody about it then because I thought they would think I was crazy and just not understand. Uh, I eventually opened up to my mum uh, and my dad separately. And then 16 years old, I went to CAMS and there was it was relatively helpful, but... I needed specific OT, OCD intervention or specific OCD therapy, which I didn't get till I was 21. So you went basically six years without having proper help? Yes. Well, about, about four, four years. That just, that's just crazy. How, how did you deal with it during that time? Uh, poetry and, write, and writing. And then you got your thoughts out on paper then? Yeah, but it just got, it got so, so difficult that, even though that was really helpful and it still is massively helpful today and I'll, I will always do it, I needed I needed professional help because I needed to understand my condition. Knowledge is power when it comes to mental health and physical health. And the more we can understand about our conditions, the better we're, we're going to be able to manage them. And I just did not understand OCD well enough to, to continue to manage it on my own. The negative coping mechanism also kicked in, which was alcohol. I used to binge drink a lot because as soon as I had a drink, as soon as you have a drink, right, it releases serotonin. It, people respond different, different, differently to drink, but you have a drink and it releases this happy feeling. So you want to make yourself feel better. So you keep drink. So you keep on drinking. So for me, it would make me feel a little bit better. But then it would also give me the courage to not conform, not perform a compulsion. So sort of I'd be fighting my head. So I'd be, I get quite aggressive to myself, not to anybody else, but to myself, I get quite aggressive. And unfortunately, like got into a bit of trouble and stuff like that. But yeah, 21 years old, hit and uh i was really drunk and i had a i had a horrendous intrusive thought so i walked uh, so i purposely walked into the road and i got hit by a taxi and i smashed the windscreen smashed my face on the floor i didn't want anything to end by the way that's that wasn't what i was doing but i just i was fighting my own head and you know i hit i i got hit by the taxi and then all i heard was silence and i know i'm not telling anybody to do this it's not what i'm saying but all i heard was silence but it was it took me to do that and, and to get into that such deep dark place for me then to get the help that I needed I eventually then got cognitive behavioral therapy specifically for OCD went on a 10-week group course learned about exposure response therapy as well ERT uh, and you know it really helped me as I said I, I learned more about my condition and I, do, I don't know where I'd be without that to be honest with you and I don't know where I'd be without poetry either I've always said poetry and rhyme saved my life really honestly thank you so much for opening up about that because it can be really hard to talk talk about dark places that people get to but it's so good that you're able to openly chat about it as well and you're raising awareness by speaking so that's um, a really really big thing and because you might be saving somebody there um yeah it broke my heart to think that that it took that to be able to sort it out but i'm just glad you have Deke, thank you so much. 
for being so informative and open about your experiences through having type 1 diabetes and OCD. So thank you very much and I will see you again on another episode. Thank you so much for having me me, and you are an amazing host. I appreciate it. (laughs) Thank you so much and I'll see you again. If you stuck around to the end, I want to say a massive thank you for listening to Deke's story. I thought I hope you found it informative and interesting because I certainly have. I'll see you in next week's episode and thank you for listening.